um, that you would just strengthen him this morning, Father, that you would be speaking and communicating your heart with your people through the words that he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Debbie. Morning, everyone. How you all doing? Good to see you in this chilly enough morning. Um, thanks for coming out. Um, <clears throat> we're going to, as Debbie said, have an opportunity to give um, at the end of the service. Hopefully, um, we want to give normally, as Debbie said, but um, I'm going to just give you a little moment at the very end to, to give to our Outward Focus Christmas. The idea is that we go with a little bit less, as Debbie said, so that we can bless those who don't get very much. So different kind of things sorted out with presents for lots of kids in our community that probably wouldn't get one at Christmas. We also want to try and raise actually even more than that so we can bless things internationally, the persecuted church, um, the poor around the world, um, Home for Good, who do a lot with um, uh, orphans and those in fostering care. And so uh, let's give as generously as we can so um, others can go. If the government can give us 100 quid to go and blast on ourselves, we can push some back into the economy of the kingdom, can't we, to bless those who don't have enough. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to um, kick on this morning in uh, our series here, Matthew chapter 13, on the parables of the kingdom and this series of advance. Let me just um, get straight into the passage, if that's okay, and I'll do a little bit of a recap and we'll push further in. Um, but the parable that we read last week, um, we're kind of spending a little bit more time. It's a parable of the mustard seed and also the leaven in the lump. Um, but uh, we focused a little bit more on the mustard seed last week, so we're going to talk a bit more about the leaven this week. Okay, so um, if this works, let me see. Is this working? Yeah. He told them another parable. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the earth can perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked its way all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using the parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parable and parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. The parables of Jesus, as we've discovered, hopefully, and what I mentioned last week, were stories, little, little fables, if you like, that Jesus told to help people understand how they could receive his favorite thing to talk about, which was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the rule and reign of God, where God's reign was unopposed, where, where the things that are in heaven are breaking out on the earth. And Jesus wanted us to start thinking about how we could understand this kingdom because it's completely different and opposite to the kingdoms of this world. The politics of this kingdom are different. The economics of this kingdom are different. The currency of this kingdom is different. And so these stories kind of etched into our imaginations, little pictures and stories that help us think differently about what life in God's world is like. These stories kind of are like the doorway into God reality, not sort of the natural reality that we see every day, but the God reality that he wants us to understand. And so we've had the parable of the sower and we've had the parable of the wheat and the tares. And we've come to understand that those two parables at the start of Matthew chapter 13 provide a framework for where we can understand the next parables. And so we first, we come to understand the seed. 
So right back in the parable of the sower, we, it's important that we just, there's no, uh, what is it they say? There's no formation without repetition, right? So we're not repeating things for the sake of it. We're repeating things so that we become formed in the ways of the kingdom, right? So the seed is good. The seed is the gospel of the kingdom. The way we summarize it is in three words, Jesus is Lord. He is making everything new. He reigns and rules over the whole cosmos, over the whole world. If you wanted to understand the gospel in three words, is that Jesus is Lord, okay? If you want to... Stretch it out a bit in the 30 words to keep it simple. Jesus is God with us. He came to reveal God loves us, died for our sins, set up his kingdom, calls us to follow him, and he is returning soon. This is the gospel of the kingdom. You can download that, by the way, from our website if you want to keep it on your phone and just center your life around the simplicity, but the power of the gospel. This is the seed that is being planted. This is the message in, in its utter simplicity, but its profound power. And so what we came to realize that the seed is, it's a seed of new creation, it's a seed of imperishable hope, and it's a seed of supernatural fruitfulness. The kernel of the seed of the kingdom contains all these things. And so we say this here because <clears throat> not just to like, help us know it in our heads, but we want to be confident in the gospel. We want to be confident in what we carry. We want to be confident about the seed of God that has been planted in us. We don't want to be just nice people who try to get people to do other nice things, right? We want to talk about the power of the gospel to transform lives and to transform the whole world. We've come to realize, though, that people receive that seed, receive that message in different ways. That's what the parable of the sower tells us. Some, it's received in different ways. And we should be prepared for that. And we've also come to realize as the seed takes root in the earth, it takes root in an earth and in a world where <clears throat> there are other um, influences and kingdoms which will not recognize Jesus as Lord. And so when Debbie taught us about the wheat and the tares or the, or, or the, good, the, the, the kind of good plants and the weeds, if you like, that these things grow together in our world. And until Jesus comes back, they will grow together when he will finally separate them. But he has come and finished the work. He has died on the cross. He has shown us the kingdom. He has rose from the dead. He has defeated the enemy. It has finished, he cried, on the cross. So that the work of darkness has already been defeated. But we will see the end result of that in the days ahead. Until that time, we live in a world where there is still a presence of evil. And there are still the results of sin and sickness. Which is tough and is hard at times. And is sad. And some of us will have felt, even in this past week, will have felt tinges of that sadness as we become aware of the things that are in this world that remind us that the victory has not yet fully been consummated. But we move forward with prayerful hope because even those things that we lose and that we grieve can be redeemed in and through what Jesus has done for us. And so the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven and the lump it help us work out how to live in a world where there are still wheat and tares, right? It helps us to think about how we live through a world and we develop the patience that's needed to live through a world where we see all of these things happen. It helps us to learn how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And uh, while that can seem, and sometimes sometimes we get frustrated and we ask God why these certain things happen, but you know, the the good thing about developing a kingdom framework is everybody's story fits in it somewhere, right? Does that make sense? In that, um, 
you know, see, if we start to preach a gospel that everybody gets healed right now, then not everybody's story would fit. Sure it wouldn't. My story wouldn't fit. Your story probably wouldn't fit. Because I've been disappointed at times in life with things that have happened that I wanted God to come through on, and it hasn't come through the way I'd want it to. And yet, if I preached the gospel that said, nothing like that ever really happens, the, the signs of God don't happen to da-da-da, then not everybody's story would fit either, because God does move. God does break in supernaturally. God does do wonderful things in our world by his power, right here, right now, like he did in that day. And more importantly, I think, in all of that, what we see in these parables is that even though we don't see things happen the way we would like or at the speed that we would like them to happen, the mustard seed is still growing into a beautiful tree. The leaven is still working through the fabric of society to leaven the whole lump. And so we said last week, just a slide that um, reminds us of the things that we said about the mustard seed, because in some ways these are parable twins, the the leaven and the lump and the mustard seed, they're kind of the same thing with a bit of a difference. And so these things apply in some ways to the leaven as they did to the mustard seed. In the kingdom of God, the seemingly insignificant is significant. In the kingdom of God, patience and endurance is needed to see this little small seed become the great tree. The seed still contains the potential for exponential growth. It'll become bigger than what we can ever imagine. And the growth is always others oriented. It's for the birds of the air to come and focus. <clears throat> and so these all apply in a different kind of way, in a different picture with the leaven and the lump. But I want to talk a wee bit more about the leaven or the yeast this morning. I want to give, I want to give the leaven its chance, all right, as well, just to kind of keep it fur. And I, I am no baker. I'm no cook either. Um, I, I'm, the, the closest I can get to like a bit of an analogy is when I make pancakes on a Saturday morning. That's my meal in our house, right? And uh, when I put bacon powder into the dough to make American fluffy pancakes, right? Not bad at that. You're welcome around any Saturday if you'd like to taste that, right? So the best I can do when I think about this is, is when you put bacon powder into something and it makes it rise, okay? And the whole idea here in this picture is, you know, you put this woman who's bacon and she put yeast into the dough, and it works its way through the dough, and the whole bread starts to rise. It's similar to the mustard seed, as I say. Something that's really small, looks seemingly insignificant, <clears throat> but yet works its way through the whole dough. And so what I want to say this morning in the time we've got left is I want to say two ways that we can interpret this passage and three things that I think it means for us, okay? There's probably more, but these are the things that I just feel as a preferred I want to leave you with today. There's two ways that we can interpret this, I think. First and foremost... Jesus is the embodiment of this parable, both the mustard seed and the, uh, and the leaven. He fulfills it all. Jesus is the parable of the Father. <clears throat> he is the embodied mustard seed. He is the embodied leaven. This carpenter from Jerusalem or around Galilee that nobody really knew or paid attention to, Jesus initiated something in his life and in his death and in his resurrection that literally became the centerpiece of history, right? So in some ways, Jesus, um, unknown, seemingly insignificant to loads of people, was actually carrying the very heart of the Father, carrying the kingdom of God. And in his life and in his death and his resurrection, his life became the centerpiece of history and changed the whole world. The whole world will one day, the leaven of the... The leaven of Jesus will one day permeate right through the whole of the fabric of society and make everything new because of his life. 
I, I love this uh, quote by Stanley Horowitz. He says this, Jesus is the parable of the Father's love given to transform us so that we might be drawn into the new creation called the kingdom of God, right? Jesus is the parable of the Father's love given us to transform us so that we might be drawn into the new creation called the kingdom of God. Jesus showed us that the power of God was stronger than the power of the world. That the power of God was stronger than the power of sin. And Jesus reframed that, that <clears throat> how one touch from his presence can actually change everything. And in, in, in reframing how we understand his presence, he reframed how we understand holiness. That one touch from Jesus can make our whole body, soul, and mind well. Remember the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, yeah? All she needed was one touch. Now, <clears throat> in that society, she was seen as unclean because she bled for 12 years. 12 years she bled. And she would have been, by the Jews, seen and known as an unclean one because of that. And so the idea in many Jews' head was if she reached out and touched Jesus, then Jesus would get unclean. But what the story actually shows us is that Jesus reverses the flow. That instead of Jesus becoming unclean, she became clean. She became whole. She became right in her heart and her mind and her spirit. And Jesus reframed how we understand holiness. Because you see, holiness means to be set apart. That's part of what holiness means. You've never been taught that if you've grown up in the church. But what is really important for us to get is we're called to be set apart because we're sinners who need to be made new in Jesus so we can overflow with the power of Jesus so that therefore we can, trans, uh, we can transfer or we can overflow with the holiness of Jesus so others can come to know it. But the Pharisees, they didn't really get this. They, like everybody else and often like the church, we think we're set apart because sometimes we think we're better and then we form a holiness club. And so holiness becomes a thing that excludes people rather than holiness being the thing that includes people. Do you remember, if, if you know the Old Testament, there's that the image of the, 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 the river running from, the, in Ezekiel, the river running from the, 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 the temple of God, and it runs, and as it runs, it gets bigger and bigger as it moves away from the source, and eventually it runs into the Dead Sea. And everybody would think that if that river runs into the Dead Sea, that the Dead Sea would infect the river. But actually the opposite happened because of the river of God's presence. When it runs into the Dead Sea, it actually brings life to wherever it goes. And holiness is the kind of thing that Jesus helps us understand that if we become leavened in the presence of Jesus, if we get changed and straightened out from our sin, if we repent and turn for ways, holiness becomes this life-giving Holy Spirit thing that overflows into our life that doesn't create holiness clubs that nobody can get into, but walks down streets and walks into the places where we live every day and overflows at the presence of Jesus in a way that draws people in, that transforms people, that helps people know the love of God. Set apart is important because you can't leaven anything if you're not leavened yourself. Yeah? And so we need to be set apart. That's why our spiritual disciplines, that's why spending time in Jesus' presence is important so that we're formed into his likeness so that holiness looks like it looked like in Jesus. Amen? Right? So first interpretation is Jesus is the fulfillment of the parable. The second interpretation is that <clears throat> the church is the mustard seed or the church is the leaven in the lump. And that, in some ways, should be logical enough for us, hopefully, because God wants his followers 
to be leavened by his presence in such a way that we carry the fragrance of Jesus in the world. Anybody like the smell of fresh bread? Yeah? When it's been like just baked and the sorry, I'm terrible with anything to do with like food and things, right? But anyway, right? It, it, like, am I, I know what the smell of fresh bread looks like or smells like. <laughs> and anyway, and it's lovely, right? It's just lovely. And we want to be people that when we're 11, we rise with the presence of Jesus. And we carry the fragrance of Jesus wherever we go as the church. And what Jesus' life, and what Jesus, sorry, began in his life and his death and his resurrection, the church then continued in how they formed the community of the kingdom. And in light of global empires of the day, in light of the vast amount of people that lived on the earth in those days, the, the, the church was the equivalent of a little 11, 120 people. Like, what's that in the grand scheme of the population of the world, sitting in a little upper room, not really sure what was happening next. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they're leavened in the presence of Jesus. And the early church embodied Christ in such a way that they began to influence the world. And the thing about the early church that fries my brain and helps me when I think about churches, they didn't even really have a plan for growth. But they grew and they spread because they got with Jesus. And they just sold their lives out to live for Jesus and to be filled with his presence. And they started to move through the world organically, almost imperceptibly, almost without people really knowing, and yet relentlessly, they start to see more and more people because they became a new humanity. They became like a new species introduced to a new ecosystem. And slowly but surely, it moved its way through the world because these were people who carried the Jesus DNA. They carried a strain of this holiness, this presence of Jesus. And it started to leaven the whole lump. Over the first three centuries, the historians tell us that the early church embodied Christ in their everyday lives. Yes, they saw some miracles. Yes, they saw some supernatural stuff. And we're all over that stuff. But often, the early church moved forward in those days when that church kept a low profile. <laughs> just going about their everyday life, not really trying to often cause a stir, but just incarnating the life of Christ in the way that they uh, loved the poor, invited friends to meals, went to the synagogue if they were Jews, encouraged their neighbors to come and be around them, and slowly but surely they leavened the whole lump. It began working through. They were pioneering a new kind of humanity, a new kind of living. The rich and the poor met together. The guy that cleaned the house went to church with the guy that owned the house. Yeah, and they sat around the same table and they had communion because in Jesus' eyes, we were all the same. And a new kind of humanity started to be formed. The poor, the poor were called for. People shared their homes. People shared their resources. Women and children were elevated in their communities in a way that the rest of culture didn't. The slaves were seen as on equal footing as the senator and the judges. The people who owned the, well, you didn't have factories. The people who had owned, uh, like uh, the employers sat with the employees. This was the kingdom of God. No longer Jew, Gentile, male or free. And everybody wanted in on this. Everyone wanted in. And I want to encourage us to think about how we as the church are becoming like Jesus in this way, in a way that can leaven our community and our society. And slowly but surely, the percentage of people throughout the world began to grow who loved Jesus and who wanted to be part of this kingdom family. 
So we can interpret the parable first and foremost as Jesus being the fulfillment of it, and then as we understand who Jesus is, we become the fulfillment of that as his body on the earth, yeah? Three things I want to leave you with. What does this mean for us then in the world today? I had a quote there, but it's quite long, so we'll leave that to save time. And the first one is this. We must learn to be passionate and, <laughs> with, uh, and is underlined because it's really difficult to be both of them. Has anybody ever kind of worked that out? How to be passionate and patient? Or how do you be patient and not be passive? You said last week that our world works at the lens of speed. And Jesus works at the lens of seed. He looks at life through the lens of seed, not the lens of speed. And we have to learn how to be patient. See, what I'm coming to realize as I get slightly older is that I have to come to realize that I want to have to learn how to give my life for Jesus with everything I've got. Like, sell out to live for him. Yet also, even in my, with my best intentions, realize that God is at work beyond what I can imagine, beyond what I know, and beyond what I understand. We must remember that the kingdom of God is like leaven. It is like mustard seed. It sometimes isn't as big or as quick as we want it to come, but it is growing, and it is coming. And um, that's why we need to remember. You see, we, we in Christianity and in Christendom, we think we know what the kingdom is. And we start off this project, and Jesus is all over it, and it's brilliant, and God blesses it. And then it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and we still think that we know what the kingdom is. But then what we do is we stick our name on it. And it becomes like Alan Emerson Ministries or some nonsense like that. And it's not a bit of wonder that it feels because we keep thinking we know what the kingdom is. But the problem is that we, as much as Jesus has worked in his life, we're human beings who are prone to this fleshly thing that still tries to raise its head. We're prone to our own ego. We're prone to Messiah complexes. We're, we're prone to selfish motives. And all of a sudden, our own stuff get mixed in with the kingdom stuff. And we have to realize, you know what? We need to submit to the rule of King Jesus to allow him to do his thing in us and allow, by a mustard seed, his work to continue in and through us. We are to preach the gospel. We are to serve the poor. We are to pursue justice and mercy. Every opportunity we get to do that, we absolutely need to take it. But we also need to realize that we need to lay our heads in bed at night and relinquish control and realize that God is doing his thing in the world and we submit to his time scale and we submit to his agenda. And that is a tough thing to do, particularly when you've got adrenaline and you want to do things and you've got ambition. You have to be harnessed. It's like a horse being broken in. You have to be harnessed so that the strength that God wants us to have can be channeled in the way that he wants it to be used. And so these parables help us, parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven and love, help us to realize how we can do this in a world that uh, has still got a presence of evil in it. Uh, in 24-7, we always used to say this little phrase, we live as if it all depends on us, but pray as if it all depends on God. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know if that's true or not, but it works for me. I want to give every, everything I've got to, to live for Jesus, but I pray and I channel my heart and my desire into prayer so that I realize it actually doesn't all depend on me. It depends on God. And we need to live into that tension. And this tension 
is uh, no better, no better Sunday really to talk about this time because it's the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is the time when we remember the first time Jesus came, but also the second time Jesus came. And the kind of charismatic sort of new Pentecostal church is not great at understanding the Advent kind of calendar. And we think it's just new starts when we all get a chocolate on Wednesday and the first of December. But really, really what the, what the ancient kind of church calendar is, is when, we, when we hit this point, we, we build, the, the church calendar actually starts today, not the first of January, in, in, in traditional kind of circles. And it helps us to think in that way about how we live into the middle of the ages, the time between when Jesus came the first time and when he's going to come back again and so we learn how to watch and wait right paul said or peter said second peter chapter three he said waiting in the king james waiting and hastening that's a good king james word isn't it hastening waiting and hastening the day of the lord in other words we're waiting but we're whatever hastening means it means we're passionately seeking it pursuing it desiring it praying it in but we're also waiting for god to come and establish his kingdom on the earth but the thing about it is like the the first disciples who heard this we don't like to wait sure we don't we want the kingdom to come on our time scale we don't know why god doesn't do it sooner sometimes we have all those kind of questions but in all of it we remember that god is at work doing his thing and we submit to that and we wait and we hasten the day of the lord we remain patient because patience is not passivity rather we patiently channel our desires into the prayerful hope that God's kingdom is coming. And in the end, all will be well. All will be well. And all manner of things will be well. Last two. Make sure you only use kingdom yeast. I say this because Jesus uses the idea of yeast in another place. And it's not good in the other place. He says this, be careful, Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus knew that the spirit the Pharisees were carrying was not the yeast he wanted to bake with. <laughs> he knew the spirit they were carrying was not the Holy Spirit. He knew that their teachings did not represent the kingdom of God. And he knew it was there, if their teachings, if the teachings of the Pharisees, this is really important, particularly in today's world, right? If the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees got a foothold in the church or in the kingdom community, Jesus knew it could destroy it. And so Jesus was saying to them, be careful about the wrong kind of influence. This is the responsibility of the elders, but it's also the responsibility of the community. We make a decision. I hope we can make a decision as a church community. That when we see the yeast of gossip, we're all over it like a rash. I'd love us to be a church community that when we, when we see the yeast of judgmentalism, we're all over it like a rash. It doesn't get to stay in this place. That, we, that when we get to see the yeast of sectarianism, we're all over it like a rash. It doesn't get to stay in this church. It, that we don't allow the yeast of religiosity because it will poison the body. This is what uh, Paul said in Timothy. Avoid godless chatter because those indulging it will become more and more ungodly. Look, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Who wants gangrene in their church? But it happens in many churches because not just do the leaders abdicate responsibility, but the people actually abdicate responsibility as well. The body abdicates its responsibility to be the people of God, to go to the Bible. 
and realize that how God wants things to work are different than the way the world wants things to work. And uh, we, we are living in a moment where the, the popular opinion on so many things is so strong and it's trying to get into the church to bring division and all those things. Make sure that the yeast that we are begging with to influence this community is the yeast of the kingdom of God, the presence of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, the loving grace and truth of Jesus. Yeah, that's the yeast that we want to beg with. And then finally, just to finish, just really quickly, strange maybe I'm bringing this into this particular passage, but be, be part of the remnant. And what I mean by that, what I just mean by that is, first of all, to say this, the problem is, in light of what I've just said in point two, the church over the years has compromised. The first 300 years or so, it wasn't like they were perfect, but the leaven spread like dough. And then we've, over the 2,000 years, just at a broad sweep of church history, we've had times where the church has compromised. It has become and played chaplain to the empires of the day. It has got involved in politics and power when it shouldn't have. It's made all sorts of bad decisions, done all sorts of awful things, and we unfortunately have to just say that that is the case and say sorry for that, and that is not the name and does not look like the name of Jesus. And it's often been in our own country as well. We have to realize that unfortunately, over the years, the wheat and the tares exist within this church and within the institution of the church. But God has kept his promises. God is still committed to mankind. God is still committed to seeing his purposes and plans in the earth. And throughout church history, because these things have happened, God raises up what's called a remnant. And we see that throughout the Bible themselves. And they are a group of people who are wholehearted and faithful in their love and their desire to serve God. And they're holding on for the promises of God to come. And the remnant all the way through scripture and all through church history become the foundation on which a new move of God can happen. And so every time it gets shallow and it looks like the lights have gone out and it looks like darkness is about to just win, God raises up a remnant and they become the foundation for the new move of God. They are the good leaven that God begins to move in once again. Bye-bye, little Matthew. And we're often reigniting many, they reignite many within the church. They call people back to repentance. They call people back to humility. And, uh, and so we see that throughout church history. When the Roman church compromised, forth, we had the Celts. Yeah, we had St. Patrick and all his followers doing their thing, changing our own land, bringing the beauty of the leaven of Jesus to our nation and the nation's. When the Roman Catholic Church in the 15th, 16th century completely kind of sold its soul in many ways. You know, there was reformers and Moravians and Methodists eventually. All of these people that rose up, that God raised up. And then, unfortunately, lots of those things became compromised as well. And God has to do it again because people are people. And we think we know what the kingdom is like. We think we can define it. But then before we know it, we're building it on our terms. And Jesus is like, no, no, guys, you think the kingdom should look like this, and you think the kingdom should look like that. It's a projection of your own desires. It's a projection of your own ego. It's a projection of your own kind of nationalistic agendas. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven in a lump. It's like a mustard seed. It looks insignificant to you. There's something so humbling about it, isn't there? And I think that that's what Jesus is calling us to be. And so this is what I think we're called to be in these moments where people, called to be part of a remnant of people 
that count the cost of what it is to really follow Jesus, to be leavened in the presence of the Lord. We're not a big church. We don't ever have to necessarily be thousands and thousands of people. It'd be great if they're all people that don't know Jesus coming to know the Lord, obviously. But we're not, we're not judging things on size. We're judging things on the quality of spirit and soul that Jesus is leavening, leavening I'm making up words today, um, us into, yeah, so that we can reflect him in the world. I've been encouraged in the last week. You know, this last week we've preached the gospel and we've talked about climate change. In the last week, this week, this afternoon, in Lurgan, they're baptizing nine people and we're lifting our offering today to help the most vulnerable. We're discipling our kids and we're sorting out accommodation for homeless people. We're gathering together to praise and sing songs and tomorrow we'll go and hopefully wash the feet of the city. That, that sounds to me like the church of Jesus. We're not perfect. Got loads to get right. Got loads to keep ourselves humble around. But slowly but surely, we can make an influence in the world and each and every one of you can do that as well. And so as I pray today, I want to pray that the presence of Jesus would come and leaven us <laughs> in his presence so that we could affect the whole globe. And when I finish praying, um, for those of you who have kids, it would be great if you could go and lift them. But what, what I really love you to do is I love you to think seriously. Don't like to force these. We don't like to force these things. It's not the way to do it or make anybody feel guilty. But as I pray, I'd like you to think about how can you give to the Outward Focus Christmas offering. Johnny, if you could put the slide up just the ways you could give. You can give through bank transfer or you can give by just putting your money in the red box um, in the red post box and if you're just given normally uh, if that's the way you'd like to give normal tithes and offerings just write it on the little white envelopes that are sitting in front of it put it into them and then we'll know it's for the normal offering but we'd love we'd love to raise money to help those in our own community and to leaven this community with the love of jesus holy spirit thank you that you've been here this morning thank you that you've been with us thank you lord for each person gathered Thank you that you are for them and that you love them. And Lord, as Debbie led us earlier, thank you, Lord, for just the individual way that you want to touch each of our hearts and lives today in your presence. Holy Spirit, we're, we're aware that we are living in a, in a world where, where some, some, some weeks it can feel like we're more aware of the, the weeds than, than, it, than it is the good stuff. And so, Lord, for those of us who are there this week, I, I just pray that you would Help us to lift our eyes to see that, Lord, that you are at work in your world. And that, Lord, that you have conquered sin, evil, and the devil. And, Lord, Lord, we feel the tinges of pain with it a little bit now. We thank you, Lord, that we have the hope that does not disappoint living deep in our hearts. And the hope that will remind us that in one day you will make everything. And so, Lord, in the meantime, we ask for faith and we ask for courage and we ask for boldness to represent you well. We ask for humility, Lord Jesus. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand, God. I ask you to leaven, leaven us in your presence today. Help us as your people to carry the grace and truth of Jesus and as a community to continue to influence the very fabric of this town that you placed us in. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.